another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. You guys, we had a Google update. I'm going to share with you some news about the product reviews update. Even if you don't have product review content on your website, what I'm going to share with you in this episode is important. It's important if you have content. I'm incredibly excited about what I learned this week. I spent some time digging into old patents and articles written about Google's different algorithms to learn more about Google's use of entities in search. And then I had this massive light bulb moment when I was reading about Google's hummingbird algorithm. Yes, Hummingbird that came out in 2013. I suddenly realized that Hummingbird is what makes it possible for Google to write algorithms like the product reviews algorithm that assesses content in ways that you really would not think could be done algorithmically. As SEOs, most of us understand the basics of PageRank. The page rank being the equity that passes through links. This is why so many SEOs are obsessed with link building because page rank has been very important in Google's algorithms right from the beginning. PageRank is what made Google win over Yahoo and Ask Jeeves. Uh, the one I used at the time was Excite. Google figured out that links are a really good proxy for recommendations. And if lots of people are recommending a piece of content, then it's likely to be good, especially if people from authoritative places or what SEOs would call high page rank sites linked to you. So back then, Google could look for keywords on pages and try to assess whether they were a good relevant match for a search. And then they'd return those pages that were a good match that also had decent authority decent page rank, but they couldn't do much beyond that when it came to actually understanding the content on those pages or assessing the quality of the content. But did you know that Hummingbird made it so that Google could put less emphasis on page rank? I'm going to unpack that more in this episode. I really think that with the innovations that Google has made when it comes to understanding language, they're able to rely less on links as a signal for trustworthiness and authority, and more on signals that can be extracted from the content itself. So before I get too far into talking about this, because I'm going to babble a lot in this episode, I should mention that this is episode number 228 of Search News You Can Use, published on April 1st, 2022. Uh, I was going to do some kind of April Fool's joke, but you know, these days it's hard to know what to believe and the world's a little bit on edge. So we need to be careful about playing practical jokes, I suppose. A couple years ago, I, uh, I joked that I was leaving SEO to become a professional Fortnite player. And some of you actually believed that. <laughs> uh, some of you thought it was a good idea too. It's not going to happen. Um, and who knows? No jokes this year. Or maybe I'll quit SEO to become a full-time gardener. <laughs> My office right now has a few hundred seedlings in it. We're trying to grow our garden from seed this year. And I've got rows and rows of plants in front of me. So every time I see a new shoot come up, I'm really excited about it. But <laughs> I think I'll stay in SEO though. Business is good. <laughs> and I've basically got my dream job. I get to learn and share uh, everything that I learn. And then that helps my team out as we help our clients do better. Um, it might seem kind of crazy that I, I left a career as a veterinarian, but I really do like what I do. I, I should mention that if you 
would like to hire my team and I to review your site, you can reach out to us at help at mariehaines.com or you can use the contact form on our site, mariehaines.com slash contact uh, to tell us more about your situation. We're taking clients right now for audits, for site reviews, and also past clients for ongoing work. We have some capacity there. Uh, and if we get a big core update though, what usually ends up happening is we get a big long waiting list. Uh, so if you want uh, to have our team review your site, now is a good time to, to reach out to us. In newsletter this week, we've got lots of really good stuff. There's a breakdown of the product reviews update, even a little bit more than I'm gonna share in this podcast episode. Uh, Google's URL parameter tool is going away very soon. So if you use that, you're going to want to pay attention. And we shared a lot of things we learned this week about the forced switch to GA4, Google Analytics 4, or at least away from Google Analytics. I know some people are not going to go GA4 uh, and go to other platforms. We did a really good Twitter chat last week. It's under the hashtag LearnSEO, all one word, uh, where I asked Dana DiTomaso several questions that I had basic questions about GA4. Uh, now that Google's told us, they're going to completely shut down regular Google Analytics. So that's linked to in our newsletter if you missed it. Uh, we've also got stuff on improving content, some information about redirects, and a whole bunch of other really, really helpful stuff this week. So we're going to talk about the product reviews update in a moment. But first, I wanted to share with you the journey that I went down this week in learning more about entities. It's no secret that entities are important to Google search. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that a lot of the work that my team and I do focuses around improving a site's EAT, their expertise, authoritativeness, trustworthiness, and so much of that is connected to entities. This is another service, actually, we've started offering as a standalone report as well, uh, and it's been really, really well received, where what we do is we help our clients assess their presence in the knowledge graph, and then we give very specific advice on improving it, like when and where, what types of schema to add, um, and creating an entity hub for your information and, and things like that. So we know that your business is an entity in the knowledge graph. That was easy for me to grasp. The graph also has other facts in it, though, that are entities as well. And I would imagine it's very, very easy for Google to gather factual information from around the web to verify that your business is legitimate, that it actually exists, that you actually have customers. When we look at the knowledge panel for a business that um, it, it's basically a whole collection of entity information their address, their years in business, all of those are verifiable facts taken from the knowledge graph. So let's say I look up a person, the knowledge panel that Google's gonna show me will have several different pieces of entity information taken from the knowledge graph, and each of those are facts, like the person's date of birth, or place of birth, or books that they have written. Those are facts or entities that are in Google's knowledge graph. We don't know exactly how something gets added to the knowledge graph. We know that Wikipedia is one source of information. It's a source that Google trusts. And there are many others as well. This knowledge graph, it's basically a gigantic 3D graph with connections where there's all sorts of pieces of information. So these entities are listed 
And then there are connections between the entities of varying strength. So for example, if you owned a business selling landscaping equipment, your business name is an entity. The topic of landscaping is an entity. There would be a strong connection between these two in the knowledge graph. Google is likely very confident that your business as an entity and the topic of landscaping as an entity are closely related. Now, let's say that as part of your landscaping business, you also do snow removal. I would expect that the topics of snow removal and landscaping possibly have some connection in the knowledge graph, but it's not going to be as strong. For every item that's in the knowledge graph, there's a confidence score. And the score, it basically tells us how confident is Google in this piece of information. So if you've been working on trying to improve your EAT, a lot of what you're doing is improving Google's confidence in your entities. I can think of a few things that we recommend doing to improve EAT for which Google's use of entities is likely in play. One would be, as I said before, um, mentions on authoritative websites. Gary Ish has said in the past that mentions, even without a link, unlinked mentions, can be used by Google for entity determination. And I really think that in 2020, when Google told us that nofollow was a hint and not a directive anymore, that even some nofollowed links, if they really are mentions on authoritative, topically relevant sites, can contribute to strengthening some of the important connections that you want in the knowledge graph. I'm not saying that these mentions or nofollowed links would pass page rank, but I do think that when I get mentioned in, say, search engine land, that that strengthens the connections in the knowledge graph between my entities and SEO and other entities that I write or speak on like EAT and the QRG and other fun rhyming acronyms like that. And, and when someone searches with a question regarding EAT, Google can feel relatively confident that if I wrote it, it's likely a trustworthy match to show the searcher. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking of the time when Lily Ray and I were having dinner at some conference and we started singing. I think there might have been alcohol involved. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, you down with EAT? Yeah, you know me. <laughs> and we couldn't remember that it was Naughty by Nature who originally sang the song OPP. <laughs> Ruth Burr had to enlighten us on that. And, um, yeah, the original lyrics to that song are not good. <laughs> Man, I miss conferences. You, you don't get those kind of memories in Zoom conferences, but hopefully we're, we're back to that soon, back to traveling. Okay, let me get back on track here. I was reading an interview with Jason Barnard. Jason talks a lot about entities and the knowledge graph, where he was talking about how John Lennon, so from the Beatles, his confidence score in the knowledge graph had remained stable for a really long time. And then in January of 2021, the score shot up really, really high. What happened was that the month before was the anniversary of his death. And there were loads of news articles on John Lennon. More news equals more mentions on authoritative sites, which means that Google can gain more confidence in a topic. This is why I've spoken so much about mention building as a possibly, possibly more powerful than link building in some cases, because so many of us as SEOs are still really strongly focused on page rank. When Google told us many years ago that with the release of Hummingbird, they were able to put less emphasis on page rank in their algorithms. And I think a lot of SEOs missed this. I think I actually missed this. 
Danny Sullivan wrote an article in Search Engine Land long before he worked for Google talking about Hummingbird. I've linked to this in the show notes so you can find that article and read it. There's more in that article than I'm going to mention here. It's, it's really worthwhile. He ended it by saying, quote, by the way, another term for the meaning connections, uh, understanding the meaning behind a search query, that's what he's talking about here, that Hummingbird does, is entity search. Entity search, also known as semantic search, is incredibly important. I got the idea of entities being important to EAT. And I think a lot of what we initially did to try and improve EAT back in 2017, 2018, when we first started doing this, was based on what the quality raters guidelines told us that Google was trying to accomplish in their algorithms. But we didn't really know how they would do it. We had the right idea in working to improve entity information for your business and even your authors across the web. But what hit me this week was how entity information could be used to understand which content is relevant as well. If true, then understanding Google's use of entities goes way beyond understanding the EAT or authenticity of a business or an individual. I think that as Google gets better at understanding language, they're able to extract more and more entity information from content on the web. And they can do so much with that. A couple of episodes ago, I spoke with Don Anderson about Google's incredible advances in AI and in understanding language. As Google better understands language, it helps them better understand queries. We're going to talk about query refinement in a second. And then we're going to talk about what I think is actually more exciting is this idea that Google is actually extracting entity information from pages to better understand content. So let's first talk about Google using query refinement to understand a searcher's question better. In 2005, Google was granted a patent for a system and method for providing search query refinements. This was authored by Google engineer Paul Haar. I've mentioned Paul before. He's the engineer, the same one who's responsible for many of the changes that we saw with the Medic update. His bio at Google says that his mission is to reduce the amount of fringe content online. It says, fringe ranking, not showing fake news, hate speech, conspiracy theories, or science, medical, or history denial unless we're sure that's what the user wants. So a lot of what we study at MHC is influenced by Paul Hart's work. Okay, so query refinement. When someone types in a query that could have maybe an ambiguous meaning, multiple meanings, like the example Google gave was, can you get medicine for someone pharmacy? How does Google figure out what the searcher actually means here? Because language is really weird. <laughs> and although that phrase might make sense to you and, and to me, it's confusing to a machine. In this patent, they say that the first thing that Google does when, they, uh, when someone does an unclear search like this is to try to retrieve relevant matches for the search based on the keywords that are in the search. And then they give each of these matches a relevancy score. Next they go through the content on these pages to find clusters of topics that are closely related to these keywords. These are entities, triples. I'm gonna to come to those in a second. If after doing this, they find that actually there are multiple interpretations of this query, 
amongst the results with matching keywords. Then they do a bunch of things to refine the search query to change the meaning. And then they create scores for each of those relevant pages that uh, are returned. And what they're doing is they're trying to figure out, okay, this question could have several possible meanings. Which of these meanings produces results that are consistently relevant? There's likely a lot more information on the web about picking up medicine for a friend or a family member at the pharmacy than, say, a page answering the question of some other possible refinement like, I don't know, can you get medicine for someone named pharmacy? So the first set of results in this case is going to be more relevant than the second interpretation of that query. We can get maybe more into query refinements in the future and how Google understands what searchers are looking for. Uh, but just so this podcast isn't two hours long, because you know I like to talk, just know for now that a big part of Google's use of AI to better understand language is in better understanding queries, better understanding what the user was trying to accomplish with that search. What interests me more, though, is how Google finds these clusters of concepts or topics on the page of content itself. Because I think that if we can understand that, then we can create content that makes it easy for Google to consider it relevant. And if we combine that with good EAT, man, I really think we're going to have incredible success in improving rankings and traffic if we can do that. And just as I'm writing my notes for this episode, Google announced that AI summaries are now available to everybody in Google Docs. This is darn exciting because I think we can use that. We've already been playing around with Google's natural language processing tool. Um, but these AI summaries, we can use that to optimize content so that it's more likely to be seen as relevant for the topics that we want to rank for by Google's algorithms that use AI to dissect content. So the AI summaries, they're extracting entity information from our content. I'll be playing around with this and I'm going to be optimizing some of our content on our website and I'm going to report in future episodes on how well that works. Uh, but I'm not done babbling about this. So let's go back to 2013 when Google released the Hummingbird algorithm. They announced the change in late September 2013 and then they told us, hey, we actually released this whole new engine for Google search about a month previously. And at the time, very few SEOs noticed any change, uh, I, which I think is really, really interesting because this was a major, major change to search, but yet the search results didn't change much. And I think very few understood what changes had happened to search. There really wasn't much incentive to dig into it because it's not like sites were hit and reaching out for traffic drop assessments or site audits. Whatever the change was, it didn't have a dramatic influence in SERP turbulence at the time. So not a lot of people were digging in deeply to determine what Google had changed here. Google said Hummingbird was like changing the entire engine of a car to give it a new engine that was built both on existing and new parts. So the old engine was focused primarily on page rank. It was the main part of the old engine. Panda was one of the parts that was added that still works in the new engine, just like Penguin. And then they confirmed that PageRank, it was still an important part of the engine. PageRank uh, being the equity that passes through links. And this is why so many SEOs do link building. 
But that now, again, this is back in 2013, Google was saying that PageRank no longer is the main component of the algorithm, but just one of over 200 major ingredients that go into Hummingbird's recipe. Search Engine Land reported that Hummingbird changed search in two ways. I'm going to read here. First, Google has increased its ability to deal with complex search queries, which means that it also has got better at indexing entities in web documents. Second, it has got a lot better at relationally linking search queries and web documents, which means that its knowledge graph must be considerably enriched. Okay, so that's a mouthful. That's a lot there. Google got better with Hummingbird at indexing entities in documents. It got better at figuring out which entities are discussed on your pages. And it got better at connecting which search queries go with those entities, are relevant to those entities. It might not seem like a big change. I mean, before Hummingbird, Google connected keywords with queries, right? So if I searched for lawnmowers, Google would show me pages that contained the keyword lawnmowers. And eventually they figured out synonyms so they could recognize that a page that contained references to lawnmowers, uh, maybe garden tractors or grass cutters, that that might be relevant to that search. But with Hummingbird, it's not keywords that are important, but rather topics. Google may extract from a page that it contains topics, concepts, or in other words, entities like lawn care or yard maintenance. Where my mind starts to explode, though, is when I start thinking about the relationships between these entities. So let's say that we're analyzing a sentence in content, and the sentence is, I made this up, the John Deere lawn tractor cut the entire yard in 30 minutes. There's a few concepts in this sentence. You've probably heard this idea of triples. A triple is a way to analyze a sentence to break it down into three parts, subject, predicate, and object. So in that sentence, I would imagine it would be broken down into a simple statement like this. The subject, John Deere tractor. The predicate is the act of cutting the grass. And the object is the yard. This triple, this piece of information, is itself an entity. And it can be related to so many things. In the sentence that I made up, there's a connection between the concept, cutting the grass in the yard, and time, 30 minutes. So let's say that Google's algorithms determine that the searcher's query is not just about lawnmowers, but it's also about how long does it take to cut the grass. If Google can properly extract this entity information from the page, it can see that it may be a relevant fit for this query. And possibly even more so if there are more triples on the page that are closely related to this question. So why am I talking about this now when Hummingbird came out almost a decade ago? I think that initially Hummingbird allowed Google to better understand user intent. And that was its main power. As, as SEOs, we were like, well, yeah, that's nice, but there's not a lot of benefit to us in understanding what a searcher wants. I mean, there is, but in the, in the early days of understanding content on pages, there wasn't much that we could do to change our content that would actually make a big difference here. But since 2013, think of how many advances Google has made in understanding language on pages. We don't have to fully understand how BERT, KELM, LAMBDA, or MUM work 
to know that they're helping Google better understand which information is thorough and substantial, which content contains the concepts and topics that a searcher is trying to find. When I spoke with Don Anderson a few episodes ago, she mentioned how neural matching, this is AI again, uh, helps Google better extract entities from pages. AI is definitely being used to analyze content and extract entity information from it. So there's so much more we can unpack here, and I'm going to be sharing more as we develop strategies for helping our clients optimize content with this knowledge in mind. For example, the people also ask results. They likely give us clues as to which entities are closely related to the topics that you want to rank for. I'm betting that including well-structured answers to these questions in, that you find for your topics and people also ask, and writing them in a way that Google's algorithms can parse and extract entity information from would be super powerful. I should mention, I'm not the first one to discover this though. There are many who have been practicing semantic SEO for years now. I think they have a big advantage over those of us who haven't been. <laughs> I think I've been kind of partially doing it without even knowing what, uh, what I was doing. And after all of that, holy cow, you're still here? <laughs> this is a lot of stuff. I, I think it's very related to Google's product reviews update. This update is the third product reviews update. Barry Schwartz said that this update didn't have much impact, but we have several clients that were strongly impacted, most of them positively, but not all. And this was surprising to me because with the last two product review updates, we didn't have much movement amongst our clients. When Google first announced the product reviews update, they gave us a list of questions to consider in regards to our content. I went over those in detail in a past episode. You can find all those past episodes at mariehaines.com slash podcast. And these are very similar to the questions that they gave us in their blog post on what webmasters need to know about core updates. The product review updates, they're not core updates, but it's interesting to see that several people are reporting that sites that were hit uh, with a recent core update are seeing improvements with the product reviews update. Alan Kent from Google, by the way, said that this update really only should affect pages that contained product review information or that Google would return for people searching for that type of content. So I did not expect to see much movement amongst our clients. You'll see a newsletter that I shared some analytics from some of our clients that gave us permission to do so. And some are seeing beautiful improvements in rankings and traffic. When we dug down, it's definitely on pages that contain information to help make uh, people make decisions on buying products. I spent time analyzing a few of these clients, and I noticed that in several cases, the pages that were affected were ones where the URL contained words like best, <laughs> actually the word best, best smartphones for 2022, or best running shoes for women, things like that. So for one that I examined, the content ticked off many of the boxes, almost all of the boxes on Google's blog post on what they want to see for product reviews. Their reviews demonstrated firsthand expertise, like actually said, when we tested this, this is what we found. <laughs> I'm laughing here again because I tweeted about how Google says firsthand expertise is important for product review content. And someone asked me, well, what can we do if we didn't actually review the products ourselves? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure people will try to write, we reviewed this when they actually didn't personally review it to get around this algorithm. But Google has to be smarter than that. 
a couple of the sites that were up with this update were affiliate sites, and they had links to multiple vendors. This is something that Google told us was coming in their announcement with the December product reviews update. Although Alan Kent said that links to multiple vendors is not something that yet has been assessed by the product reviews update. Still though, if you have review content, this is going to be important in a future one. One of the questions that Google says to ask about your content is does the content cover comparable products to consider or explain which products might be best for certain uses or circumstances. So let's unpack that. How could an algorithm determine whether content has covered comparable products? How would Google even know what the comparable products are? Well, it turns out that Google has a knowledge graph just for products. It's called the shopping graph, and it contains all sorts of entity information on products and the relationships between them. So with what we just learned about Google extracting entity information, triples, from content, I think it would be very pretty simple to say, all right, this page talks about this product or this entity. And they can likely extract all sorts of triples that show that the page is sharing information on the stats of the product or things that describe the product. And if it's clear that the searcher's query is showing that they're looking for review information, Google's going to try and return pages where there is entity information, triples, that discuss products that are closely related to this one in the shopping graph. One of the questions in Google's blog post on core updates is, does the content provide a substantial, complete, or comprehensive description of the topic? Again, how easy would that be to do with this understanding of evaluating pages by the entity information contained in them? The product reviews update is still rolling out, so I have more to report on in future episodes, I'm sure. I think that this is probably a good place to end this discussion for today. I'm incredibly excited to dig in and learn more about entities. I'm not sure what the topic will be for next week's Learn SEO Twitter chat. It might be on entities, it could be on product reviews, or it wouldn't surprise me if Google does something else before that that we need to talk about. <laughs> it feels like I'm always saying to my girls, I'm, I'm gonna be working late because Google did a thing. That's our phrase now. And then in two weeks, I'm thrilled to be talking about traffic drops with Glenn Gabe. That's gonna be such a good episode. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you have anything to add, reach out to me on Twitter, Marie underscore Haynes. I'm there a lot. I'm always trying to learn. I should also report for those of you who challenged me to be true to my word and exercise more, I got a new Fitbit. And oh my gosh, it's like it's, I'm, I'm my own little Tamagotchi with this. <laughs> it's a Charge 5. Uh, it's freaking me out how much data this thing gathers. And it's actually helping me get even healthier. Uh, I'll likely be making some Fitbit groups in a minute, or at least, you know, some type of a challenge. It's really interesting. The data looks at electrical pulses and skin temperature and heart rhythms to tell you whether your body is ready to exercise. And apparently I'm too stressed to push my body too much. <laughs> I get that, we're all stressed. Even if you don't think you're stressed, I, I don't know anyone whose life has not been disrupted by this pandemic. I've spoken in the past about learning to meditate and I'm actually really enjoying the meditation instructions on Fitbit more than I have on Headspace. And they seem to be working to help me lower my stress levels or who knows, <laughs> perhaps this is all just a big algorithmic invasion of privacy. Did you know that Google bought Fitbit? So now when they launch an algo update, they can immediately see if my stress level goes up. <laughs> 
or down maybe. <laughs> so if you're a Fitbit user and you want to join me for a step challenge in a few weeks or so, we'll get connected and we'll motivate each other. I really do want to thank you for listening. Creating this podcast helps me learn so much and I really wish you the best of luck with your rankings. <laughs> <laughs>